You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Look here in Psalm 100. Y'all ready to read a few verses here? It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Now, if I were the writer of Psalm 100, I would have left verse 3 out. I would have went right to verse 4 and said, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. But go back and look at verse 3. He says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. It says to know that the Lord your God, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Not worshiping the Lord is a backwards way of bringing glory upon yourself. Because if you know you will do. You can't can't really know. And this is why I've grown to have a lot of compassion for people that can be under the anointing and, and around the glory and essentially remain unchanged. Is because I realize they just don't know the Lord. Because when you know him for who he truly is, your response, it won't be like, okay, Lord, I'll worship. No, it'll be like, God, there's nothing else to do. There's no other thing but to worship you. And so when we come to, our, we can come to the, this place within ourselves to say, God, I wasn't made by me. I was made by you. And you realize the works of his hands and the goodness of his heart it will lead you to a place. It will propel you to a place. Not because anyone's forcing you, but because the revelation you carry, because of the encounters you've had, bring you to this knowing that almost forces you to a place of on your knees and adoration towards him. He's just like, you can't, you can't help it. And this is why he says, because see, you could do all these things that this passage is talking about, but not really take note of the fact that he is the creator and we are the creation. And he, he doesn't make us worship him, but he does put a draw on us because he is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our adoration and praise. Man. So when we come to him, we need to remember that he made us, and we didn't make ourselves. And then it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Gates are a place of entrance. There is a, oh, this is important. There is a place in your heart of entering into the presence of the Lord. It's a choice to walk through the gate. And you know what's cool? is that you don't have to climb over a wall. You don't have to pound through anything. You just simply walk through the gate. You know how you do it? Thanksgiving. Because see, everything about the the courts of the Lord in our heart and, you know, the throne room in our heart and and all of that language there, uh, 
It's, it's all about whether we enter into that place internally in our thinking, in our heart, and in relationship with him or not. And the way that we do it, the way that we do it is that we, we begin to thank him. And thanking him is turning, it's intentionally turning our attention from us, whether we're dealing with the problem at the moment or not, it's turning our attention from us or the problem and turning it to him. And thanking him just simply for who he is and for what he's done. You know, that, and we had this lady point this out to us recently, and I thought, that's really good, I'm going to use that. There's a difference between God's greatness and God's goodness. God's greatness speaks to his exploits. God's goodness, God's goodness speaks to his character. I'm going to show you this here in a moment, but the children of Israel, they, they knew God's greatness, but they didn't know God's character. And see, when you only worship the Lord for his greatness which is something to thank him for, for his exploits and the things that he does. My God, when he does something for you, turn and thank him for it. That's right. But if you only thank him for his greatness, then you're missing the connection there because we don't relate to the Lord for what he does. We relate to the Lord for who he is because that's what real relationship is all about. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So there's a proper order to this. You go in with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Praise, here's what praise is. Praise is, and I have the definition written down. I want to say it right. To boast in the form of song. There's a reason why normally, except for this month, there's a reason why we come in and we do praise and worship and then we get into the word. And it's because when we come in, we should come in with thanksgiving. Again, it's a choice for each individual. But then we come into his courts boasting about how awesome he is, how great he is, and also about how good he is. About the person of God, about who he is, about how he's the all-sufficient one, he's the loving one, he's kind, he's gracious, he's, he's a blessing, anything that you want to put in there. There's an order to this, and as a matter of fact, and this could hit home with a lot of people, so I'll say this graciously, but it is, and, I, and I've been there before, all right, so I'm not casting a stone where I haven't been before. It is the height of arrogance to come in to the presence of the Lord and not thank Him and praise Him. Because we would never enter in to the realm of an earthly king without giving the proper praise or adoration, if we could use that term. We would never enter into their presence without a proper order to things. You've seen this all in the movies and you read this in books over the years. Whenever a king would enter into the room or a queen or anything like that, they stand, they sit, they kneel, they bow, they don't turn their back to them, all of these things. There's proper order to things. When we come into the presence of the Lord, because he's in his courts, and when we come into his courts, there is an order to things. You thank him. You come in thanking him for who he is and what he's done, both of those things. You thank him for his hand, and you thank him for his face. You thank him for his provision, and you thank him for who he is. And then, this is what he requires. He requires that we praise him, which is to boast about him in song. That's proper order. 
its proper order in our heart. That's why we do it in a service the way that we do. And we can mix things up and change things up. God's not offended by that. But this is about a heart posture. It's not about let's do one, two, three, and everything's good. It's all, it always goes back to the level of our heart. Where are we at at the level of our heart? And then it says, be thankful to him and bless his name. And this word bless means to kneel, to praise, or to salute. It can mean any of those things. Again, it goes back to a level of a heart posture. And then I like this last verse here. It says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. He's saying, do all these things. And the reason why is because the Lord is good. He's good. You know, one of the things that I find that the enemy always tries to rob from people is that the fact that the Lord is good. And he tries to rob it with getting us to answer the question as to why things have happened in this life that we don't have an answer to. And then instead of turning and saying, God, at the cornerstone of my belief is the fact that you are good. And so it it literally doesn't matter why this thing has happened. I'm still going to worship you. We search for the answer as to why instead of just declaring him good in the midst of not knowing why. Living in some amount of mystery is not bad. Because it can, and I'm, I'm always looking for answers. I want revelation. I want understanding. I want to know why things happen. I want to know how they happen. I want to know when they happen. I want to know as much as I can about the Lord, his kingdom, the spiritual realm, all of that. But there is so much that we, we don't know. And living in some kind of mystery can be an indicator as our level of honor towards him. Because if we're only willing to honor and praise him when everything is going good, that's really no honor at all. That's, u- that's using God like a sugar daddy. Going to him to get what you need. And see, there's a really thin line here because you can go to God and worship. You can go to him in that place and you'll get what you need. But that's not why we go to him. We go to him because he's worthy. Encountering the Lord will bring revelation. Revelation will bring a knowing, and knowing will determine the level of worship that we're operating in, the amount of worship, the quality of worship, and definitely the quality of our heart condition. There were different people in the Bible, and I want to hit just a couple of these really quickly, that um, that had great encounters with the Lord. And I want to go to Acts chapter 9, and I want to read this one verse. And then we're going to go to Luke 24, and I think we can just pull these up here. Acts uh, chapter 9, and in verse 5. And this is when Paul had this encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. Is everybody doing okay? Okay. And this is, this again, this encounter on the road to Damascus where the Lord uh, encountered him. And this was not one that, the, that Paul was pursuing, but this was one that the Lord pursued him. And he said, who are you, Lord? He knew who he was, but he didn't know him. He said, who are you, Lord? He didn't just say, who are you? He said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads, and I'm not going to go into all that. He said, who are you, Lord? 
As the story goes on, Paul's eyes, physical eyes were blinded. Then his eyes became opened up and immediately he was baptized. And then he spent a number of years, well, he went and preached the gospel to some and then he spent a number of years in hiding or getting prepared to really start the ministry that God had called him to. And then you fast forward to Acts chapter 16, he and Silas find themselves in a pickle in jail, in prison. And the same guy that was once killing people in the name of the Lord and killing people for worshiping and serving and proclaiming the name of Jesus was in prison because he was preaching that name. And when around midnight, when Paul and Silas begin to praise the Lord, then the earth shook. And when the earth shook, they didn't stop praising God. They kept praising him and worshiping him. And then the jailer and his whole house ended up getting saved. Why? Because he encountered the Lord. And for a number of years, he was in a place where he was getting trained and he was encountering the Lord. And when he encountered the Lord, he got revelation. And when he got revelation, he began to actually know the Lord. He was caught up in the third heaven and he saw things that he didn't even know how to put into words. But Paul encountered him. He had revelation of him. He knew him. That brought him into the worst position and arguably in life. And what did he do? Get mad at God? He worshiped him. Let me take you to another place in Luke chapter 24, and let's look at this real quick. And this is another uh, encounter that they had that they were not looking to have, but God encountered them anyways. And again, to encounter means a face-to-face. Acts chapter 24, excuse me, Luke chapter 24, thank you. Everybody doing okay? I feel like everybody doing okay? Okay. Man, when you get something strong in your heart, you just, you, you got to follow the Lord. Luke 24, and in verse 16, it says, and now this is when Jesus, he, had, he was already risen And they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And actually, let's go to verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village and called called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now listen to this next verse. But their eyes were restrained. So they did not know him. Their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. You know what eyes are? Eyes are a a window to gain revelation. Physically, in the natural, we use our eyes to look at things and perceive and gather information about the thing that we are looking at. We also use our ears to do the exact same thing. I could close my eyes and you could knock on the floor, knock on the chair, and knock on the wall, and I could tell which one you're knocking on simply by using my ears. So God's given us senses to be able to discern and gain revelation in the natural to be able to tell what's going on. Everybody following me. Spiritually, you have the exact same thing. And when our spiritual eyes are restrained, we cannot know him. This is why Paul 
Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I pray the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And there's something else in there too. I'm just going off of memory. But the first thing he says is that I pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what he was saying is that your spiritual eyes would be opened up. See, Paul's eyes were opened up. That's how he ended up in prison. And instead of getting mad and angry and upset, and instead of cursing God or cursing the situation or cursing the jailers, he just praised God. Why? Because he had a revelation of who God really was. He had a revelation of who he was. When And see, the name uh, Yahweh means the self-existent one. And when we're reading back in Psalm 100, and it talks about the Lord and the God, and, and the word Lord there means Yahweh, it means the self-existent one. You and I are not existent outside of God, but God is existent outside of us. That puts him in the place of honor. That puts him in a place of we have to respond to him. And we can either respond to the Lord saying, I don't want anything to do with you, and turn our hearts and make them cold, or we can turn our hearts and say, Lord, I want to have everything to do with you. The Lord's not coming back for a weak, anemic, no-power church. He's coming back for a strong, powerful, on fire, set apart, hungry, totally turned towards Him. And I'm not saying your salvation depends, depends upon how well you're worshiping the Lord, but what I am saying is that that's what He's looking for. That's what he's looking for in people. And I don't ever want to get to a point to where if I were to die at that moment and go before the Lord, that I would have to stand watching the majesty of who he is, knowing that I was just at a place not declaring the majesty of who he is. But you can't declare, and you can't enter into, and you can't worship, and you can't have adoration for something that you don't know. You have to know. So what do you do? You force encounters with the Lord. You don't have to force him, but you force your heart, you force your mind, you force yourself to enter in. And sometimes it happens through very natural things. Sometimes it happens because the Lord says, I want you to do this, and you do it. We were in here on a Saturday night a few, a few weeks ago, a month ago maybe, and to me it was just a normal Saturday night where we prayed, which is always good. And we, we have a few of us that just come up here and pray. The Lord told me to do that. And we just come up here and turn on worship music. And for two hours, we just pray. We just seek the Lord. It's not about prophesying. It's not about doing it. It's just about praying and seeking his face. Simple as that. And God's given me a lot of stuff from that. And I thank him for it. But one night, Katie comes up to me and she said, I really feel like that you need to, because sometimes we'll do stuff with words and sometimes music without words, just whatever we feel like doing, honestly. And she said, I feel like I'm just supposed to have something without any words on. Can you do that? And I said, yes. Yeah. So I changed the music. And she obeyed God, and I was sensitive enough to say, yeah, that's fine. It doesn't matter to me. And Katie was, that night, something happened to her where she was like, I don't know how to describe it, but she was like glued to the floor, and she was totally, completely undone. And I think Wendy was experiencing some of the same stuff. 
And I was sitting there like a bump on a log, and I'm like, God, what's wrong with me? And he's like, this isn't for you, it's for her. But she did an act of obedience that unlocked and brought her into something that the Lord had for her that night. Obeying the Lord, simple acts of obedience can sometimes unlock the encounter that God has for you. I was at a conference one time as a prayer minister one of, at one of Brother Andrews. I was in San Jose, California when I was in Bible school. And, and uh, I went up to this lady who I knew her as a prophetic person, probably was a prophet. And I went up to her and was having conversation with her. And somehow I ended up kind of inviting her to pray for me. Well, she began to pray for me and she started praying. And she said, God's going to give you uh, hidden treasures of darkness. And I'd never heard that before. And so then I, I go back to the hotel room, and, and, I, and I'm not one that's like, take my Bible and open it up and say, wherever it falls open, that's where you have for me, God. Because it could fall open to something else and it not be what the Lord specifically has for you, although all of His Word is good. But I opened the Bible up to Isaiah chapter 45. I had never knew that that was in there in Isaiah 45. I think it's verse 3, and it says, and I will give you the hidden treasures of darkness. What are the odds of someone prophesying to me and me going to the Bible having no clue that it's even in the Bible? I didn't even know that was in the Bible. And having that open up. And when that happened, the best I can describe it is that the Lord, you know how when people in, in the Bible would encounter the Lord and oftentimes they would fall down and the angel would say, don't be afraid. Almost every time that somebody encountered the Lord, the Lord would have to say, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. It was that kind of thing. I got in my bed and covered myself in the hotel room. I covered myself under the sheets as if that was going to stop anything, whatever. But it was like, it became so aware that God was there in my presence. Like I couldn't deny him. In fact, he wasn't in my presence, but I was in his. And the glory of God just filled the room. And I couldn't, I couldn't deny it. I couldn't deny it if I wanted to. And so see, when you just obey God, sometimes it will unlock in fact, it will always on some level unlock encounters that he has for you to help you see him more so that you can know him better, so that you can worship him the way he deserves to be worshiped. There's not a person sitting in this room or anybody watching on live stream that doesn't want to worship God the way he deserves. We just don't know how sometimes, and we don't know how because we don't know him, and we don't know him because he's not been revealed to us. God will reveal himself to us both primarily, both through what we see in the Spirit and what we hear in the Spirit. There are other senses in the Spirit too, but those are the primary ones. God will speak to you, and he will also show you things. He will reveal things to you. He'll give you pictures. He'll give you visions. He'll give you dreams. But he'll also speak to you in words. He'll also speak to you primarily through this word. And the more he does, the better you know him, the better you're able to worship him the more you will want to worship him. Because see, when you see the goodness of God, when you come to know his, his, his love and his favor that has shined, shined upon you and been given to you, you'll want to worship him. It will be the natural response to want to worship him. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, take you to a couple more verses. And in just a few moments, we're going to go back and worship the Lord together. Revelation, and I'm going to read a bunch of verses right here. Can you all handle me reading a few verses? You better say amen. It's the Word of God. Revelation chapter 1, and I want to go to verse 10, Revelation 1.10, and please allow me, I just want to read some verses here, but I want, to see, I want you to see something. In verse 10, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, 
And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So we had two things going on here. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So he was seeing things, and you're going to see that more as we read, but he was hearing. And he heard this voice as a loud trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice. Last time I checked, you don't see voices. You hear them. That's how significant an encounter with the Lord is. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, before I keep reading, I want to I tell you something that we've been doing with the worship team. We gather together. And every Thursday when we get together and we have our worship practice, our worship time, we've shifted everything. And instead of just practicing songs, and we do that sometimes, we practice the presence of God. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, and he asked me a question. He said, what is your object of worship? Because see, any group of people, any people group, any religion, anywhere in the world has an object of worship. They have something or someones that they worship, whether it's visible or invisible. They have something that they worship. And I said, well, Lord, our object of worship is you. He said, who specifically? I said, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is our object of worship. He said, every time you come together, I want you to talk about what your object of worship is because I want you to know him. The one you behold will be like the one you become. And when you know somebody you will behold them more and you will become like them more. It's just kind of like when you see two people that are married and you see their wedding pictures from 40 years ago and they just look like two people that got married and then when they, got, they get older, it's like, are you guys brother and sister? No, we've been married for 40 years. There's some truth to that. You, you all seen that before? It's like you guys act alike, you talk alike, you even look a little bit alike, you dress alike. It's not to be weird or anything, but what happens is that the more people are around each other, the more they mesh into one. Now, to separate things out, we are never deity. We are not an object to be worshipped. Only Jesus is. But as we are with him and worship him and honor him and glorify him, the more we become like him. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his face. Excuse me, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I want you to notice John's response. It says that he fell as dead, but he wasn't dead because he knew he was still aware of what was going on. And he wasn't like dead in the sense that he didn't know what was going on because he knew what was going on. Him falling down to the feet of Jesus was about bowing down in humble homage for the one that he was hosting at that moment. I want to go to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Allow me to read more. 
Revelation 4.1. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you. Here he is seeing things. Here I will show you things which must take place after this. See, when people talk about, like, the Lord gave me a vision, the Lord, and, you know, looking at Joanne, I was thinking earlier, like, every time I'm with Joanne, she goes, I saw this, and I saw that, and I, listen, folks, that's normal Christianity. Some people will have more of those things than others, depending on how they're wired, but we are supposed to consistently hear, see, know, perceive, get revelation of what the Lord is doing. The Bible says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. No man can know the things of a man except for the spirit of a man which is in him. And so we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us. And it says that we have the mind of Christ, which means that we have the capacity within us as born again, spirit filled believers to know the things that are in the spirit of God, that are of the spirit of God, that are from him and everything about him. We have the capacity to know it. So he said, come up here and I'll show you things that must take place after this. Immediately I saw in the spirit and behold, the throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. My God. When we come to a place, just hear me, hear me on this. When we come to a place of worship, hear me on this. When we come to a place of worshiping the Lord, and we talk about how bad the devil is and all of the problems that we're dealing with, we're not worshiping the one. There's a place for prayer and communion with God where we can share everything, anything with the Lord. He can handle it. How many of y'all know he can handle it? But when you're talking about adoration, you're talking about worship, bowing down in humble homage, it's the posture of our heart that's due to him all of the time because of who he is. He is the one seated on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. Don't ask me what that means. I don't know, but it sounds very cool. And there was a rainbow around the throne, an appearance like an, appearance like an emerald. Praise God. God's restoring the rainbow to its rightful place. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones. Just imagine this. Listen, this is, this is not John writing a fictional story. He was literally caught up into heaven and he saw these things, which means they are. They are there. They are in existence. And he who, and uh, sorry, sorry, in verse four, it says, around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. 
there's a lot going on right here. And it's very strange. Do you notice that all of these things, these are created heavenly beings. And as far as our knowledge goes, none of them were redeemed. If anybody has room to praise the Lord, it's the redeemed. That's why it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The redemption of the Lord that he has done for humanity is, is, I think I've heard the word scandalous before. It's the most ridiculous thing that anybody could ever come up with, but at the same time, it reveals the greatest love that's ever been given. It's It's unbelievable. And wouldn't it be like the enemy to remove us from the place we rightly belong in humble homage, worshiping our God? Because if anybody should ever be grateful and thankful and boast about our God, it's the redeemed. But it says all of these creatures and all of these things, it says, and they did not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Chapter five, let me keep reading. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and on the fo- of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the s- seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll of the right hand out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Why? Because he's the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy. Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. My God, if you don't think that God hears your prayers, he does. He hears every cry. He hears every heart. He hears everything. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Who's the lamb? It's Jesus. He is our object of worship. 
to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. You know why they didn't stop worshiping him? Because they encountered him. And what happened after they encountered him? They saw, they know, they heard, they had revelation that came to them. And so they knew him, so they worshiped him. They knew him, and so they worshiped him. I want to read one more verse to you, and then we're going to go back into worship. Does that sound good with you guys? Because, man, he is so worthy. I want to go to Exodus chapter 33. I want to show you this, and I've, I've shown you several different places where people had encounters, and there's so many more. People had encounters with the Lord, and, and it was unexpected, unplanned encounters by them. Of course, it was planned by the Lord, but it changed the course and the direction of their life. And I want to look at something here in Exodus chapter 33, and I've mentioned this many times over the years, but I love this passage. And again, I want to read some stuff because sometimes Scripture just says it all and we don't need to do any more. In Exodus 33, 17, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, now this was after the children of Israel, that Moses had been up on the mountain and he came back down. And they uh, had gotten into worshiping a golden calf, which uh, they forged in a fire with Aaron, the associate pastor's blessing. And... <laughs> Uh, from their earrings and all the different stuff, they forged this golden calf. And I, and I know I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. I asked the Lord one time, why? Why did they do that? I've never been tempted to try to make something and worship it. I've, ne I've never been, anybody else been tempted to make something out of gold and worship it? Just anybody? We're going to pray for you because it's strange. The reason they did that is because they didn't know who he was. They only knew what he did. So they only, the wor they only worshiped the Lord for what he could do for them, not for who he was. So when Moses goes down and he sees this, I believe at some point Moses had a revelation of like, these people, they don't know the great I am. They don't really know who he is. They only know what he can do. They only know that he sent the plagues and he delivered them out of Pharaoh and he delivered them across the Red Sea and he was sustaining them in the wilderness. That's all they knew about God is what he could do for them. But Moses said, you know what, God? I'm going back up on the mountain and this time, I want to see your glory. I want to know who you are. The glory of a person is their face. It's who they are. And it says, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know, uh, and I know you by name. And he said, please, and this is Moses saying, and please, he said, Lord, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall, uh, shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, uh, and you shall stand on the rock. So what shall be, 
while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you, sh you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke, <laughs> which you broke, Moses, which of course was the Ten Commandments. Now listen, all this is so important. He says, so be, so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain and no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones and Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. He was saying, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. There's a lot in there I don't have time to go to. But look at this in verse 8, and I'm going to stop with this. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. He saw God's goodness. He responded with humble homage. He saw the nature of who God was, and he made a choice to bow himself, to lower himself down for the one and the only, the great I am, the good one, the merciful one, the long-suffering one, the kind one. And you know that Moses didn't do it in front of anybody else. God said, don't let anybody else be there. Moses did it all by himself. Folks, this is a way of life. This is our life before the Lord, to lower ourselves and humble ourselves down before him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.